right. Well, again, welcome and uh, glad you're able to be here. Uh, we did it. This is week 19. We are finishing, closing it, the book of Ephesians this week. So those of you who have been around for a while, uh, we've, yeah, we've been slowly walking through the book of Ephesians. Really looking forward to uh, the next 14 weeks as we're going to be shifting gears a little bit through the summer of uh, looking at uh, 14 uh, major verses that, that teach the entire story of the Bible. And that's it, 14 verses. We're, gonna, we're just going to narrow it down and, uh, and really, really looking forward to that. I know that. There's a graphic somewhere for the, the series, but I couldn't find it. So it could have been cool and could have showed it to you, but I don't have it. Uh, but really looking forward, forward to that. So yeah, so it's been 19, 19 weeks um, uh, in Ephesians. And so I'm going to recap in just a minute, but uh, let's, let's go ahead and let me, let me jump into this. So when I was in sixth grade, I, I've mentioned this before because I know you'll remember her name once I say it, but my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Beefus, right? Not a very unfortunate name for a sixth grade uh, teacher to have, Mrs. Beefus. Um, great, great woman. Uh, really uh, taught me a lot. I was a, um, uh, I don't know, a wild child at Marquette Manor Baptist uh, Academy. Uh, and and uh, I wore blue jeans the first day of school and that got me in a lot of trouble. Um, had to get sent home. And uh, anyways, Pilgrim's Progress, though, I remember in sixth grade, uh, Mrs. Beef is reading this out loud to the, to the class. She, she read this uh, story, and if you've never read it, um, it, I don't know, well, I'll get into that in a minute, because it's a very popular book. Uh, matter of fact, that if you look at the, the top 10 list of, of most sold books ever, uh, the Bible is number one at 6.7 billion, and then qu quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong is 900 million. The Quran is 800 million. Uh, Zanao, I can't pronounce that. It's, Chinese, it's a Chinese dictionary is 400 million. The Book of Common Prayer in number six, number six of all time top selling books is Pilgrim's Progress. And so if you've never read it, uh, I don't know where you've been, but actually I haven't read the, the five above that either. So it's okay. Um, all right. And so the, looking at this book of Pilgrim's Progress written by John Bunyan, uh, he was in prison uh, when he wrote this uh, book. And it's, a, it's an allegory. It's an analogy. And so maybe a lot of you have read Harry Potter. That did make the list. Harry Potter at 107 million. They didn't, they didn't give numbers though for the Book of Common Prayer and Pilgrim's Progress. So somewhere between 400 and a million and 107 million uh, that we have Pilgrim's Progress. And so a lot of copies of this have been sold. It's been read uh, a lot. It's, a, it's not necessarily a child's book, but it is very child-friendly in the sense that each character, it, it's almost like a, written like a play um, that when, when the main character Christian starts to talk, you, you see Christian and then, then this. And then, then when his buddy, um, uh, whatever, doubtful or hopeful or whatever, it sounds like the dev, seven, seven dwarves or something, they sneezy, says something, it, it actually puts the name uh, right up there. And so it's easy to kind of follow along, but it's, a, it's an analogy of the Christian life. And, and so I want to talk about it a, a little bit. Um, and yet, and, and highlight some really positive things about it, but there's also some, some, some negative aspects of it that don't quite translate. It's an analogy. Uh, and as we've talked about, and as you well know of me and my teaching, that all analogies break down at some point. And so he didn't mean this to be gospel. It was a story to help people understand the gospel and the message of the Christian Bible. Um, and yet we're going to look at that. So let me give a little bit of premise. So, so the, the whole book is based on this main character named Christian. That's his name. And he starts off in what's called the city of despair. And, and it's just this wicked place. Uh, and his name is Christian, but he's doing everything he can to, to be a good person. 
but doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know the gospel. Uh, and so, so, so Christian is, is living now in this city of despair and, and he meets all these different people. And again, all their names are like the sin, right? So you have, you have he, meets with, he meets gluttony and he meets laziness and uh, meets, uh, you know, this woman named the lust of the eyes, right? Uh, it's very, very specific on who they are and you can tell what their problems are going to be when he gets there, but, but he's, he's working really hard and he's, he's, he's doing everything he can to be a good person, but it's not until he, he comes to the cross and he's, worried, he's got this giant pack on his back of, of a burden, which is some, symbolic of his sins. And he can't do anything with this burden. He's getting, he's getting this, this muck in the mire. He's struggling so hard to get through, but it makes it so much harder to do anything right because he has this burden of sin. And so he comes to Jesus and only when with the name the prince removes and wants to remove this is this burden removed. But when that happens, he then gets a certificate, a certificate that shows proof of his salvation. And he's supposed to hang on to this certificate until he gets to the celestial city is what it's called or, or heaven. And so, he, and so he's, he's doing all these things along the way. So he's, he's saved, right? He's lost this burden of sin. It's no longer his responsibility. Uh, the prince or Jesus is now gonna carry that burden. It's paid for. But the rest of the story is Christian, uh, now that he's saved, working really hard to make it to the celestial sin. And one uh, thing that happens is he fights Apollyon. He fights the devil. And so that's why we're going to look at this, the, the armor of God, uh, which, which Christian is going to literally put on this physical armor as he fights Apollyon. And as we're going to see, the Apostle Paul talks about the fiery darts of the devil that John Bunyan takes quite literally, uh, that Apollyon is, is actually throwing uh, these, these fiery darts at Christian. And the only reason why he can withstand and fight the devil is because of the armor of God that he's wearing. So this week's sermon is titled Standing Firm. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6, looking at verses 10 through 24. Again, the close of the book. This is it. This is the end of the book, um, uh, week 19. And so we are going to jump right in. I will have all the scripture up on, up on the screens, uh, reading from the NIV. So if you want to follow along, feel free to do so. Uh, but it will all be available up on the screen. Before I jump into this, I need, to, I need to talk about these big fancy theological words to, to help get us in the, the mode of what the Apostle Paul is going to be talking about. Theologians like to use this word justification. We've talked about this before, which just simply means it's as if I've never sinned. Now, when I'm saved, okay, so picture Christian with that burden, the burden falls off, my sin is removed, it's removed as far as the east is from the west, it's gone. It's, it's out of sight, out of mind, as far as God is concerned, it's gone. It's as if I've never sinned. My, I no longer need to bear the weight and the responsibility of my wrongdoing. Jesus has done that for me completely on the cross. But then in compared to, not, not verses, it's not like justification's cool and sanctification's bad, or not, not at all. They're both and, that I'm saved, but then now there's this, what's called the process of sanctification or how I live my life. What happens a lot of times is Christians, especially in reading this book of Ephesians, will look at this list of rules of things I need to do or not do, rather than this is a, a new way of life. And if you've been here, we, we've seen that this is, a, this is a turning. I'm now putting on my clothes. Jesus takes the burden off, and now I see him, who he is, as beautiful and awesome. And I now walk this path to be 
become more like Jesus Christ because I, I want to, I get to, not I have to, I need to, I gotta be better, I've gotta be a better Christian or be, be a better person and maybe God will love me more. It's not how this works. And the Apostle Paul, we've been doing that now for 18 weeks. And so again, the, the, maybe one of the negative aspects of, of the book is this idea of sanctification that leads to Christian salvation in the, in the story of Pilgrim's Progress here. So in the end of the book, one of the last chapters, the last two chapters, you have this, again, main character Christian and his good friend whose name is Hopeful. But before they can get to what is called the celestial city, they have to cross something called the river of death. And what happens is these celestial beings, these angels say, you need to cross the river, right? And they're like, well, is there any other way? Can you give us some information to help us cross this river? It seems deep and treacherous and, and let's see the waves in this picture, but it's, it, when you read it, it sounds pretty off and wide and deep. And the celestial beings say, well, depending on your faith, that will depend on how easy or how difficult it is to cross this. And hopeful steps right in and he's like, oh, this is, this is nothing. Right, well, we can just run across, but then when Christian gets there, because he has doubts and fears still, he starts to sink. And Hopeful is trying to help him up and trying to keep him up, and he says, no, I can see. I can see the celestial beings. I can see our friends on the other side. And Christian's like, no, they're not for me. They're for you. I'm, I'm gonna perish because the celestial beings say that you need to have enough faith to, to cross that river because if I don't, I might drown and be dragged down then into hell. That's not the Christian life. <laughs> the Christian life is not, I need to work and struggle, and if, I, and if I just don't do good enough, then I'm gonna drown and be drugged down. No, 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 I have, and so does Pilgrim, or excuse me, Christian on this, he has his certificate of proof that he should have been able to just be like, oh no, see, I'm, I'm okay in Jesus. I'm okay. I don't need to struggle through this. Now it's gonna be some work, but it is Christ, not hopeful who's gonna help us up. Christ is the one who carries us through into eternity. So let's look now then at this passage in Ephesians that maybe will help us understand this idea of sanctification, this idea of standing firm. Am, am I the one that stands firm or is it Christ who stands firm for me and with me, who holds me up the way hopeful holds Christian up here. So let's start here. Ephesians chapter six, it says this, finally. We're gonna stop there because this is where we're gonna, we're gonna go back, right? This is it. This is the last, last kind of phrase, last thing that Paul's gonna talk about. So I, what I, I was like, man, how do I recap this? How, how in the world do I go back 18 weeks? And I thought, I'm just gonna go back to the PowerPoint and I'm gonna grab the main analogy that we used. And so if you've been here for a while, maybe this will, oh yeah, I remember that. And if not, mm, sorry. No, if not, hopefully it will, well, oh yeah, okay. I can see it and just kind of get a quick storyline of the book of Ephesians. And so we started off in week one, there wasn't really an analogy or a joke uh, in this, but what there was, I, I just really highlighted um, in the red there, it's it, it, how huge uh, the temple to Artemis was that was in the city of Ephesus, the black uh, image there is of uh, the Parthenon. And we see that, we, we know how big that is. This thing was almost twice as big. U.S. Bank Stadium big, bigger than a football field. Massive, massive building, uh, a, a wonder of the world. And so just kind of looked at this, this 
this God that would have been there and these mystery cults um, that, but now Paul is gonna say, no, this mystery has been revealed. You don't gotta have some secret knowledge. God has clearly explained everything. And then uh, Paul talked about our identity in Christ, kind of talked about what was our first AOL. Uh, mine was Bugly 109, don't know why. Uh, no, my, my nickname growing up was Bug and Bug was taken, so it ended up being Bugly, you know, so anyways. And then uh, we went and I looked at Encanto. Think about, uh, this is how long we've been in this book. This movie was new uh, when, when we started. Uh, Encanto, Lin-Manuel writes the music and I focused in on the song by Louisa, the strong one, uh, and that, that it's called Surface Pressure, the name of the song. And she says, there's no cracks, no breaks, no pressure, that no matter what, I've got I've to do this. I, I've got to work. I've got to be good enough. I've got to look good enough. And the Apostle Paul's like, you can't. You, you need to show you're weak because you are weak. It is Christ is the one who is strong. Looked at prayer, looked at Martin Luther, this quote, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets victory through the day. I have so much business, I cannot go without spending three hours daily in prayer, right? And we so looked at the apostle Paul talking about prayer, like, oh man, I don't pray like that. How wicked am I? I'm, I'm evil. And the apostle Paul says, no, <laughs> we pray. We pray that we would know God and he would, he would know us. And again, this was a quote that uh, is actually not a quote, if you remember that. Uh, so Luther did not actually say this, um, but it sounds cool. So sure, we'll give, we'll give Luther the credit. We looked at switch foot. I dare you to move. I dare you to lift yourself up off the floor. I dare you to try to save yourself. No, 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 you can't. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were 10,000 leagues under the sea and Jesus comes and he breathes life in you and now you're awakened. Now you're made alive. We talked about digging for cheese. Uh, remember that, the futility of trying to raise myself from the dead. I'm dead in my sins. We talked about the wall of hostility at my church growing up, that there was this fence there that my brother ripped his hand uh, open on. It was literally a wall of hostility. And Jesus says, no more. I'm tearing this down. There's no longer any Jew or Gentile. We are now one now in me and in my blood. We looked at the manifold wisdom of God, right? We had to get a Jeep analogy in there. The multifaceted wisdom of God, which again is what? It's the church. We're going to go through all the wisdom of God and who he is and how that's going to be proclaimed to all nations and all people is going to be the church? No, that can't be right. Yeah, as broken and as messed up as we are, as all churches are, that's what God is choosing to do. Looked at the completion of joy. Oh, it's so good. It gives us goosebumps every time I see that picture. This is our year again. The completion of joy, right? This was a C.S. Lewis quote. That when I'm so excited, it's not fulfilled until I tell somebody about it. I got to share this good news with somebody, right? So the Apostle Paul just can't help himself. He's, he's talking about Jesus and, and he's saying how, how loved you are. And then he just, just flows beautifully into praise. He just can't contain his joy. He's got to share it. And it's the same with us that when, when we're redeemed and we see the sacrifice that Christ makes for me, I can't help myself, but to share the good news, the gospel. We looked at the idea of being rooted in the love of Christ, looked at old video games or card games or whatever, that we are rooted and established. It's not like, how, how can I be rooted? What should I do to get more rooted? No, 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 you are rooted in the love of Christ. You are established in the love of Christ. And Paul wants you to know that. And then we get to chapter four and everything changes. Again, in the NIV, a, a, a unfortunate heading says, Christian living reverses the NIV, that, or the, excuse me, the ESV, that the heading, again, the headings are not inspired, but it says a new life 
And we'll look at this idea, this is not just, I've got a good dog and a bad dog. And so if I feed the bad dog, he's gonna get stronger. He's gonna beat the good dog. So I'm gonna do everything good and right. And I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna pray every day. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna give to my church. I'm gonna do all these different things and feed the good dog. Some temptation comes from the bad dog. My good dog will win. The problem is this is still law. And I don't care if it's a good dog or a bad dog, if I'm doing it, I'm living under the law. And this is now a change. It's a, it's a new, new way of life that now I get to, I want to. It's a change of going. And instead of growing up, I want to be like Mike. And I showed the picture of the poster I had of Rodman and Pippen and Jordan. My dad made me cut Dennis Rodman out of the poster. If I want to be like Mike, that no, we want to be like Christ. Looking at G.I. Joe, uh, they had these weird PSAs at the end of every show. Uh, that, that G.I. Joe would say, you know, these kids would be playing with the down power line. They'd be like, don't, don't do that. And G.I. Joe would be like, that's dangerous. And then, then the kids would be like, oh, now I know. And then G.I. Joe would say, and knowing is half the battle, right? And I had this definition of wisdom that, that, that wisdom is the right application of knowledge and, and realized in my studies, that's a really bad definition, right? Because if knowing's half the battle, then I know it. Then the other half of the battle then is do it, do what's right, do what's good. But then we looked at wisdom. Remember, I, I quoted uh, Michael V. Fox, I think, his, his book on Proverbs, um, and, and talked with a Hebrew scholar. And she was able to say, no, our, the, the, the old uh, way of wisdom literature was not just gaining information and not just doing what's right. It's a, de a desire that changes. It's this new life that flows out of it in the last two weeks, then looking at specifically M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense. I see dead people. Right, and so we kind of looking at, we looked at the mystery of, of marriage and even slave to master and, to, and, and children to parents. And this is about Christ in the church. It's, whoa, does this actually fit with Christ in the church? How do these relationship dynamics fit with me and my relationship with Christ and his church? So that is the book of Ephesians in a nutshell. So let's go. Ephesians chapter six, again, verse 10. Finally, be strong. If we go back to John Bunyan, again, I don't like teasing or calling out people who have been long dead that can't defend themselves. Uh, and again, he wrote an article just or even the back of the book, like this isn't, this isn't gospel, right? This isn't scripture, right? But if we look at this, like be strong, you gotta you got be better, have more faith, just do good. And then you'll be able to cross this, this, this river of death into the celestial city. The apostle Paul says, no, there, there is some, there is a command there for me, for you to, to be strong. But how do we be strong? We be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, this new life that we've been, that we've been talking about, of, of taking off the old self, putting on the, on the new self, flesh, old flesh versus spirit, a new way of walking in life, a new realm that I'm now walking in. It's now who I am. It's all encompassing. I can only do it by God's power. I cannot do it on my own. I can't. I've tried, and I know a lot of you have tried, to just be a good person, to set up rules and laws, and we just, it just comes crashing down. So then he says then, put on the armor of God, but why do we do that? So he, he, he kind of does it maybe in reverse order because the Apostle Paul is going to explain the what and the how is the armor of God. But right now he's going to explain the why. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand 
against the devil's scheme. We're going to see that word a lot, stand. That's why I called this, this uh, sermon standing firm. So you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So there's something about the armor of God that is the power of God that I need to put on so that I can withstand the devil's schemes. Well, what are the devil's schemes? There's two extremely explicit passages in the Bible that talk about how the devil uses his schemes, that he tempts or entices people. One goes all the way back in the beginning, the serpent, the devil is going to be tempting Eve and her husband, Adam, who's standing right there, says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and here it is, Did God really say? That's the attack of the devil. Always has been, always will be. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, No, no, no. You, you're misinterpreting what God said. You're misinterpreting the word of God. We may eat of the fruit of the trees, the garden, but God did say you must not eat from uh, the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. I don't know where the you must touch it comes from. I think that's just our, our human inclination to law, right? Well, God said, don't eat it, right? So she and Adam got together and like, maybe if we set up a rule that says don't even touch it, then we'll really be safe from, from not sinning, from disobeying. I don't know where that comes from, but either way, the word of God is you must not eat from that tree. Again, that serpent, that sly devil says, but did God really say? Let me twist his words a little bit. And then he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Another extremely explicit passage that we get on the serpent or the devil tempting is tempting Jesus. But before we get there, we got to see what God's word is. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, a river, to be baptized by John, the Baptist, his, his cousin. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened up and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Here it is. And a voice from heaven said, here is what God's word is. This is my son in whom I love and with him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased the very next verse. Unfortunately, there's a, there's a chapter break and it makes you think there's this, some translations say, immediately Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love that, that narrative there. Thank you, Matthew. He was hungry after not eating for 40 days. I needed to know that. And the tempter, here he is. Here's the devil. The tempter came to him and said, here it is, if you are the son of God. God just said, this is my son. And here's Satan again saying, did God really say? If you're the son of God, tell these stones become bread. And what does Jesus answer with? The word of God. <laughs> now, let me tell you what God said. I trust his word. Man should not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what we can determine from this, the devil's schemes have not changed. 
Not one bit. Over thousands and thousands of years, we still hear the devil whisper in our ear and our mind, did God really say? Husbands, did God really say you should love your wives the way Christ loves the church? Brian, you can't do that. He didn't actually, he didn't say that. He didn't mean that. Did God really say to love your neighbor as yourself? But, but yeah, but they're Republicans, right? But no, but you don't understand they're Democrats. I can't, what? Did God really say? They're libertarians. They're anarchists. You don't have to love anarchists. Just kidding. Did God really say to care for the poor? I mean, but if we really did that, we'd, we'd, we'd all be poor. What, what, did God really say this? Did God really say that, that in order to follow him, it's, I need to forsake my family, my father and mother, my, my daughters and my, my sons in order to be a follower of him? Is that really what he said? Did God really say, follow me? Did God really say that there's gonna be suffering and persecution if you follow me? I thought, I thought this was about being happy. I thought this was like, God is gonna just fulfill my dreams and he's just gonna give me everything I want. That's not what God said. Did God really say? It's the same thing. So moving on. So we are called to go into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint. It's a phrase we use a lot except for the one week. I messed that up, big, big slip where I said, we're gonna smoke the joint. This is not what I meant to say. We're gonna go into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint, very different analogy. Now we now get to do this. We're on the offensive. Now we now get to go forward into the kingdom of darkness and trash the joint for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, that heavenly realms is he's used all the whole book, just spiritual places, the spiritual realm, the spiritual world. We see this in Matthew chapter 16, 18, maybe before I, I get there, this idea that it's not against flesh and blood. This isn't some physical fight that we're having. And, and for some reason that this has just, for millennia, been a problem with the church that has been, oh, no, no, we need to go attack this thing. We need to attack this person. We need to attack this country because they don't think the way that we think as a Christian nation. It's not against flesh and blood. It's the dark powers of this world. Think about what just happened in Texas. There's evil in the world. But it's not against flesh and blood. Forgiveness can be offered, but this evil of spiritual realm, of, of, of the twistedness of the devil that he influences people and he whispers into their ear. Matthew chapter 16, 18 says this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, again, this not a pebble, not something that we can move, this bedrock of truth of that, Peter just said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. On that bedrock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Oh, again, look at this, gates in no way ever in the history of the universe have ever been an offensive weapon. They are purely defensive. And the devil is doing everything he can to hold his ground. But now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the gospel now has more power, more authority than the devil. And the gates of hell cannot stand against it. The gospel wins. And so we get to go on the offensive, not against flesh and blood, but with the spirit to preach the gospel of him crucified. 
And so I don't get mad at my neighbor, at my coworker, at my friend, at my sibling, at my mom, at my dad, when they don't listen to the gospel, when they reject the teachings of Jesus. I don't get mad at them. I get really mad at the devil. I get really mad at sin because I know he's the one behind it. He's the one who's manipulated and he's blinded them and he is whispering in their ear, did God really say? So let's move on. What is the armor of God? He's gonna specify this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. This is a great, great phrase. When the day of evil comes, whatever that may be, temptation that happens or we see evil in the world, something against these principalities, these, this, this wickedness that we see in the world, when that day comes, that you may be able to stand your ground, firmly stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. I, I like this image. Because <laughs> what happens in this image is Christian now defeating the devil. And the thing is Christian is not standing. Christian is laying on his back. He's got these arrows, these darts piercing his armor and he takes the sword, the spirit of God, the word of God, and he pierces the devil with this and he's fallen. He can't stand and yet he is standing based on the power alone that is God and the armor of God. Without that, he's toast, he's dead. Literally toast, I guess. So we can say it this way, again, justification. We sing this all the time. My sin, oh the, just listen to these lyrics. The, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's gone, it's Christian going to that cross, it's burden gone, past, present, future sins, done, gone, paid for. It's as if it never existed. Sanctification is this process, and again, the reality of beginning to say, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna stand firm, but I can't do it on my own. I can't, I'm gonna fall, and unless I've got the power of God through his spirit and the armor of God, I'm going to fail. And so we have three options when we get to that point, when we're fighting sin, we're fighting temptation, that we're avoiding something, we have three options. One is we can lower God's standard. Well, did God really say? I don't think he actually meant that. So I'm gonna lower his standard and live under the law of something that I can achieve. Or I can say that's impossible. I can't do it, so forget about it. Let's just give up. Or we can choose a gospel way, we can choose a third way. We can look to our big brother, Jesus, who already stood up, who already fought the fight, who already crushed the devil and the serpent's head on the cross and has now given us the power to withstand him because he already did withstand him. We put on his power and his armor. It says this in verse 14, stand firm then. Right? Here's like the fourth or fifth time in this passage. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. I'm not gonna necessarily take the time to look at specifically all of these different elements of the armor. Again, this is an analogy that the Apostle Paul is using. He would have been around a lot of Roman soldiers. This would have been something that, these, that the church at Ephesus would have been very familiar with of soldiers walking around in the armor that they would have had. So he's using this as an analogy, but there's something about this idea of truth that is so important 
found this uh, the other day on, on, a, on a website about Roman soldiers. It says, the belt was perhaps the most important symbol of a Roman soldier. In some ways, it was even more important than armor or weapons, which unlike the belt, were not used on a daily basis. Only Roman soldiers and some civil servants wore decorated belts. The belt was so important to the Roman soldier that it was considered a serious punishment to deprive a soldier of his belt or even the right to wear his belt. I mean, and that's, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is, this is truth. Why? Because everything hinges on that. That if the word of God is not sound and is not true, this all falls apart. There is no salvation. There is no righteousness. There is no truth. It, it, it's all based on the truth word of God. Everything holds on to that. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take your helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How do I pierce the devil? How do I stand firm? I put on the armor of God and I pierce the devil with the word of God. All is given from God. I cannot make my own armor. I can't figure it out myself with law or good living or righteous living. It's all about God and his finished work. In the book of Pilgrim's Progress, after Christian and after um, a Hopeful Cross, and they get into the celestial city, there's another individual, I forget his name, uh, but he, he cheats. <laughs> He hires some, some boat, some ferryman to take him across this river and he gets to their side and they're like, hey, you're not allowed to come in. And he's like, what are you talking about? I did everything that these guys just did. And they say, no, because you don't have that proof. You don't have that certificate that is the blood of Christ. We can't cheat this. We can't make it on our own. We can't just have good intentions. We can't just work really hard at it. It's all about Christ and his renewing of my mind and my spirit and his power. Now we're gonna see another prayer. I'm not gonna necessarily take the time to go back, but one of the most powerful prayers that are, that's in this book and in all of the New Testament is that he says, I pray that you would comprehend how uncomprehensible the love of Christ is for you. Like that, that's Paul's prayer for us, for his church, that we would just begin to grasp how much we are rooted and established in love, that we would just begin to understand something that's, non-understandable. It's this prayer though, he says this, and I pray in the spirit, right? Not on my own power, my own works, or my own gusto. It's with the armor of God and by the power of the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert always on keeping prayer for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. I, I, I love the humility. This is the apostle Paul saying, pray, pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given uh, me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, which again, in this context is, is for all people. It's not just for one ethnicity, it's for everybody, for which I am an ambassador in chains, quite literally in prison. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. There it is again, as I should. Look at how he prays. Look at what he prays for. He prays for boldness, fearlessness, and preaching the gospel for which it landed him in chains. He's praying for boldness to declare him who called him out of darkness and into glorious light to declare and proclaim him who raised him from the dead to life, 
prays for boldness and fearlessness. He never, listen what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for his chains to be broken. He doesn't pray to be, uh, be let go from, from prison. He doesn't pray for safety. He prays for fearlessness, to be able to preach and boldly proclaim the gospel. And then he has some closing comments. It's kind of this tail end of the book. And anytime I'm, I'm reading through the Apostle Paul, it always amazes me at how, how personal he makes these letters, that he starts naming people and gets very specific with people. He says this at the end, the conclusion of this entire book, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This past, uh, again, like I mentioned, Tuesday and Wednesday, we were up at um, Camp Lebanon, all the elders, 25 of us or so, um, and, and we studied a passage, we, we studied uh, First and Second Timothy, specifically the qualifications and callings of elders. And, and as we were reading it, uh, just something jumped out because I was already kind of in this passage and studying this, that this, this guy, Tychicus, is named in Second Timothy. Never even, just one of those names, a, a word. Just never thought about it. But he says this, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me. And grace has gone to Thessalonica. We kind of laughed at that of like Demas, you know, he's reading through this book, maybe in eternity. And he's like, wow, cool, I got my name in the, in the Bible. It's just because, because I love the world, right? This isn't a positive thing, right? He fell in love with the world in a negative way of the flesh, right? It was like kind of his, his mentality, like, oh, look, yeah, oh, I love the world. Oh, and he deserted me. All right, like, ah, man, that's not, that's not what I wanted. Christians has gone out to, to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia, just the one, not the 101. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he uh, is helpful to me in my ministry. And here it is. And I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. <laughs> That's it. It's just a name drop, a random name. But, but this is the same Tychicus. The same person, the same man who faithfully, who knows what he had to encounter, faithfully takes this letter and stands firm by the grace of God in his life to deliver this letter to the church at Ephesus. And here we are, 2,000 years later, being able to faithfully teach the word of God because of this guy, because he was able to stand firm in Christ. But the apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says this in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Did God really say, you're gonna be deserted? if you're a follower of him. The apostle Paul said, everyone deserted me. May it not, but then, but listen to the forgiveness, may it not be held against them. Then why? Here we go. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Stand firm, do strength, be put on, put on the armor. Why? It is God who's holding us up, who's carrying us across who's allowing us to become more like him, to fight sin, to fight the devil, to, to, to run away from temptation. He's the one that's doing this. And yet we fall on our face all the stinking time. And he grabs us by the back and he says, let's do it again. I've got this, I got you. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles might hear it. 
And I was delivered from the lion's mouth, literally a lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me to safety in his heavenly kingdom. Safety now? No, in his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Two simple gospel applications, wrapping up the entirety of the book, but specifically today, did God say? What I do know and what I've learned in my walk with Jesus is those times when I say, yeah, God, I know you said that, but man, this just looks so good. I just, I need this. I'm, I'm like, I, f- I feel like Louisa, I feel like I can't take the pressure. It's not about me, it's about you doing this, but I'm tempted by this thing and I just wanna, did God really say? At the end of the book, not at the end, when, when, when a Christian is fighting the devil, Apollyon in the, in the story in Pilgrim's Progress. The devil points out, he accuses him. Christian, you know how many times you quit? You know how many times you, you sinned? You know how many times your eye went astray? You know how many times you, you fell flat on your face that you spit in God's face? That you took even the scroll, your proof of certificate, and you said, this is worthless? You did that. I love Christian's response. This is what he says, and I quote, all this is true, and much more that you have failed to mention. <laughs> That's the Christian life. This way it's saying, you think, you think you know how sinful I am? I don't even know how sinful I am. But what I do know is that the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. I know a lot of you are like me, you're sinners. And we keep going back to the same stinking sins And we can either say, did God really say, no, he couldn't have meant that. We can say, I can't do it, so what's the point? Just give up, forget about it. Or we can actually believe the gospel and put on the armor of God and his strength and his power and know that he is merciful and he is ready to forgive. Finally, the Lord will stand at your side. You can stand firm even when you couldn't stand firm because he stands firm with you. Another hymn that we sing quite often. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. We're going to have communion like we do every week here at Lower Town. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church for that matter. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to come and partake of these elements. The bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The juice that represents his blood that was shed for my soul that was shed so that God the just can look at me and say, done, no more. It's finished. We can do that because of the mercy and the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but all I'd ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love to partake of these elements with you of this meal to remember the finished work of Christ. 
that we get to now like Christ when we think of the sin and the temptation that we have in our own heart and our own soul, whatever that may be, each one of us individually, that when we hear Satan saying, yeah, but did God really say, we can say, yeah, he did say, and it's done. And I know this, and I will be able to sustain, I will be able to stand firm because of Christ and his work. So I'm gonna ask the worship team, we're gonna sing a couple songs. Feel free to come and grab the elements as you see fit and sit and, and whatever it may be that, and, and pray, repent, praise, um, confess, whatever that may be. And we're gonna sing these songs uh, together as we worship our risen Savior, that merciful God and Savior who is ready to forgive. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time in the book of Ephesians. I thank you for the Apostle Paul and your wisdom and your spirit moving in Paul and breathing out these words of instruction and correction to us, the church, now thousands of years later, still being able to see the truth of your word. I pray that all of us, that as we hear in our hearts and in the deepest regions of our soul to hear those phrases that God really say. That we would be able to look the devil in the face and say, this is the word of God. Jesus is his son who is loved and whom he is well pleased. And Jesus, that same son, my brother, stands at my side and he covers me with his righteousness and he takes my burden of sin, just like Christian, and he takes it away and he removes it as far as the east is from the west because he is ready to forgive, because he is merciful and good, and he's faithful and he's just. So I pray as we partake of these elements that you'd receive honor, you'd receive glory as we remember the finished work of your son on the cross for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.